0: Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another exciting edition of the Chicago Bullseye. We have a couple great shows coming out in the next week or so with the season starting up again. Within the next week, to kick it off, part one of an interview with longtime friend of the show, Kevin Anderson of NBC Sports Chicago. In part one, we talk about the upcoming part two to the season. We ask the question Will the 2020 season require an asterisk? Who are the contenders? Who will win the championship? And around minute 25, we get into Bulls talk, namely how detrimental will it be for the Bulls missing out in the action in the bubble. In part two, which, you'll, which should go up over the weekend, it's all Bulls. We get into Boylan, the roster, etc. So I hope you enjoy it. Quick note before we get started. A lot of people have been asking me why Boylan is still head coach of this team. You know, I have my questions too. Uh, I think it's pretty clear if you've listened to this show how I feel about Jim Boylan as head coach of the Bulls. I think the answer is 100% financial. You know, Reinsdorf stated, and I believe him, that they're losing a lot of money. And with that in mind, why would he hire another coach right now, who will cost at least one million dollars, and still have to pay Boylan and his staff? Why start outlaying that cash today when we're no closer to the season? We got a long way to go before you know that coach. In reality, really needs to be in place. So that's my guess. I mean, never underestimate the desire of a millionaire. Losing millions to save a million. I'll expand and expound upon this in a later show, but believe me, I, I think that's the reason. Could be wrong. Um, so I'm not going to get too upset yet. As to the suggestion that we fire Jim and hand the reins to Fleming, what has Chris Fleming done to earn a head coaching job for the Bulls? He's an alleged offensive guru. Did our offense look remotely better last year? It was a total train wreck. And as bad as he is, you know, Boylan might actually have a better argument than Fleming. Since our defense, it was nowhere near as atrocious as our offense last season. All I heard last season in the preseason was Fleming's offense looks great. Fleming's offense is awesome. Fleming's offense looks great. As soon as the season started, all I heard was Boylan's offense is awful. Boylan's offense is awful. Well, which is it? You know, I don't want anyone associated with this coaching staff. From Fleming to Boylan to Rodgers, I don't care who it is. I don't want anyone associated with that coaching staff leading this team next year. We need new vision and new leadership, and I'm confident it will eventually happen. Regardless, we'll dive deeper into these topics in a future show. I'm going to wait and see what happens with the head coaching position, but I believe our tourists in the end will make the right move. But we'll see. Anyhow, Godspeed and on to the show. Uh, it's great to be back, and I look forward to spending many, many emails, uh, Twitter beefs with all of you over the next coming months. <laughs> Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another exciting edition of Chicago Bullseye. It's been far too long, uh, but I think we all, as uh, as fans and as Americans, need to focus on some far more important things. But let's uh, return for a little bit of a diversion with the great Kevin Anderson. Kevin, how you doing, brother?
1: Fred, it's uh, it's I'm doing well. Everybody's healthy. Uh, still gainfully employed at NBC Sports Chicago, which is a, a massive plus. Um, but you know things things are weird. Like it's Things are just kinda surreal right now, like watching old games and then thinking about going to a restaurant and sitting down and having an actual like meal with the family and um it feels like a lifetime ago in like mid February than was the last time we went out and, and, and ate and where we had basketball and we had sports and even though I know things are slowly coming back like golf and nascar and we'll have to be tipping off in orlando uh at the end of the month it's still things are things are weird they're not normal um and so it's just a very very unique situation we were in
0: it sure is you know um i, I will say first of all thank you for providing us with some diversion over at nbc sports chicago with the 96 playoffs it was fantastic 98 uh also the derrick rose week i watched religiously i i you know, that kind of stuff you need, you know, and I really do believe in sports. I've always said this, uh, you know, my father-in-law came from the Philippines, and yet we became really, really good friends and close friends probably within a few weeks just due to a mutual love of sports, and you know, sports transcends all that keeps us apart, so I think it is really important, and when you when you miss it for, you know, a certain amount of time like we have, it uh, it hurts, you know, it really does, and, and it is a great diversion, and I'm hoping somehow, some way we can get back to some sense of normalcy as long as, you know, the players can be healthy and and as safe as possible. You know, what say you?
1: Yeah, I mean, like, first off, you're right. It's like a piece of me is missing, not having basketball for this long. And it's, you know, yeah, we we obviously go from mid-June, and I'm not counting summer league here, but we go from mid-June to, uh, you know, early October without any meaningful basketball and that's a, that's obviously a normal stretch of time but it's different right now and sports is something that i think is is certainly important to the american culture i mean that's you know it, it is my livelihood of, of how i make a living and provide for my family which uh certainly personally is important but you know the the last thing you said is probably the most important I think we all want to see sports come back. I want to see basketball come back. But it's got to be safe for everyone involved, and not not just the players, but the coaching staff and the trainers and everyone involved in in Disney. And I I hope uh, it sounds like their plan is is fairly decent, Um, but uh, I quite frankly... Am not super optimistic that the NBA is going to finish what they start on July
0: thirtieth. I unfortunately agree with you. Um, it just seems like there's too many players coming up, you know, testing positive with, with few symptoms, and all you need is for one. You know, based on what we've seen so far from this disease, it's far more severe results for older people. And as you mentioned, some of these coaches are are older, and you know, God forbid if a player, a young person, suffered. But uh, I think it's it's far more likely that a, a player could unknowingly you know, pass it on to a coach or a, a, a you know, staff, and it's definitely not worth the loss of a life. Yeah, I
1: mean, think about like coaches like Alvin Gentry and Greg Popovich. You know, these are, are individuals who are in the at-risk category of, of 65 years older. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what the league is ha- – certainly they have – Done thought experiments, and they've talked internally about what if X happens, how do we respond? But you know, what if they have the worst case scenario of a, a player or coach or st- team staff member contracts this and dies? Um, no. You know, how how is the league going to respond? Are they going to shut things down immediately? Are they going to try and push through? I mean, I I know there is a massive financial reason to do this uh certainly if they were to not play this this playoffs and, and not get through the the ramifications to the league would be felt for years and i get that um mm-hmm. and I, I think we just all want them to be safe but how is the going to respond if a player contracts it and that player ends up reacting very negatively to it like we know you know this this isn't something where if you're 20 years old or 30 years old you're completely immune to it we know that um uh, players or not players but individuals have gotten it in their 20s and 30s and died it it happens so what if a player gets it and reacts negatively negatively to it and ends up having their career ended because of the impact on their lungs that it has you know that's certainly a possibility and how's the league going to respond so yeah I mean I absolutely wish and hope for everybody to be safe down there but given the massive spike in cases that Florida has seen over the past uh, week to two weeks. It just, it, like, as we inch closer to July 30th and we're seeing the players arrive and it's fun to have them make fun of the food that they're getting or their their hotel rooms where John Rondo is, is getting ripped because his hotel room isn't as nice as he wants it to be. Um, and, and so, like, those are kind of distractions down there, but – you know, as we inch closer to the actual start of gameplay, just like I'm, like it's not like every day at this point we're going, ah, we'll be fine, or it's a little bit better today. It's a little bit better than last week. Like things are and specific to Florida. They're actively getting worse. Every day is a is seemingly a new high in positive cases. And so, like, it's just like I, I want it to go well. I want to watch real basketball, but it's not at the – Point in which I want to sacrifice something or have the league really go down a dark path. Yeah,
0: let's let's take you know let's hope we're both wrong and things are allowed to go forward. And you know I we I think we both I think it'd be a surprise if no one contracted this disease while they're in Florida. But let's assume. No, it's it's
1: a when. There's it's not a if someone contracts it. It's a, a when someone contracts it. And if they can limit the exposure, I mean, number one is if a player gets it can they trace the contact so they can figure out exactly who gave it to them, number one. Number two is, can they limit it so that player doesn't end up going three days of games before testing positive, but yet they actually transmitted it and then you have a an outbreak. So that's like, if you can limit those things, you can catch it immediately, isolate that player for two weeks and have a minimal impact and you, you'll probably be safe. But it, Yes, it's a matter of when, not if.
0: But, but let's assume that You know, they are able, none of the ramifications for the players um, are too severe where, you know, a player's going to be significantly, uh, his health is going to be endangered in the long term. It seems like most of the players that have contracted it have come back to some degree. And let's, yeah, I mean, and Jabari Parker is playing tennis the next day, right? Yeah, so. yeah. Let's hope and pray. <laughs> there you go. Let's hope. And, oh, let's not get on that tangent with Jabari. I know <laughs> playing tennis does he only play off? Yeah, Do you he turn anything play. back? Most of these guys are going to bounce back pretty well without any pre-existing conditions. I would like to get on a less important question, which I kind of got onto a tangent with a neighbor the other day. Is you know, let's assume things go well. Everybody plays. The season plays out. Whoever wins this. Uh, whoever wins a title, let's assume, is it going to be a big asterisk? Do you think, let's say LeBron wins his uh, fourth title, are they we going to look back and say, you know what, that was that was really a, that's a massive asterisk and kind of history-wise is it going to be held against him?
1: I, I actually think it will be the opposite, whether it's the Lakers that end up doing it, the, the Clippers, or uh, literally pick any of the 22 teams that potentially at this point I actually think it will be the opposite in that we will look back at this year's champion and say they overcame so much adversity from a mental standpoint and a physical standpoint being down there that I think we're going to go, this this is a a true champion. I don't think we're going to look at it like the Lakers won it and they had it easy because of the situation. I think we will end up looking back at this and going, if the Lakers win it, that, wow, they they overcame this entire situation and were able to pull it together as a team uh, that they, they deserve the championship. So I, I think it certainly it's going to be noteworthy. It's going to be remembered for as long as we live, and it's certainly 2020 in general. None of us as adults, anyone probably over the age of nine, is going to forget this year. Uh, and that's for many, many reasons—not just sports. But I think if whoever ends up winning, I think we're going to look back and go, "Wow, they—they they really deserved it."
0: You would concur, though. Like I, I agree with you 100%, provided all the best players on these teams, you know, are playing and none of them do do miss any time due to the illness. I, I completely agree with you. But you would concur, right? Like if it's the if the Lakers are playing Clippers in in the Eastern in the Western Conference Finals, and God forbid one of the big players in the Clippers, you know, goes down with coronavirus and is out for the remainder of the series. That's a pretty big, pretty big, uh, you know, matzo ball out there. I think in, in terms sure. of sure, I uh, mean, the elephant in the
1: room, right? Like yeah. you know, like even these eight seeding games, there are players who have completely. I mean, we know the Wizards have had several, uh, you know, very good players who are just like you know, I'm out. Um, yeah. I'm not going to do it, I'm not, it's not worth it, uh, whether it's Bradley Beal or A.V. Bradley or whoever it might be. So these, these eight seeding games are kind of a, a, I think they're a mistake anyway. I, I think the NBA uh, was overly optimistic when they put this together a couple months ago and said, all right, we'll bring in 22 teams. They they should have done 16 only. They should have had a week, a lead-in time, uh, obviously, to get everybody in shape and to the point of where they can play, and they should have done the playoffs right away. Yeah. Uh, I think these eight seeding games are a mistake, and we're, we're seeing teams who are didn't really have a, a great chance to get that eighth seed or the playing game as it is. Uh, anyway, say we're done, we're punting it uh, as it is. But yeah, I mean hypothetically, you know, let's say it's uh, you know Celtics Sixers in the Eastern Conference Finals, and uh, Joel Embiid, uh, you know, two days before the. the Eastern Conference Finals for Stark tracks it, and he has to sit out two weeks. Uh, you know, I don't know if we're going to say it's an asterisk, but it'll be notable, um, just like any player who got injured, right? You know, whether it's the Sixers beating the uh, Bulls back in 2012,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, or whatever case may be, players the get Golden hurt, State players can't to play Toronto. for various yeah. reasons.
0: Yeah, Golden State losing to Toronto in last year's finals, right? With the, right. the team just basically falling apart due to injury to several key players.
1: Right. I mean, we all know that if, if the Warriors were had not had the injuries that they had, that they probably would have beat Toronto, and that's certainly a, a worthy discussion. Um, and it'll be kind of like that. You're right. If the if the Lakers Clippers in the West Finals and, and Kawhi Leonard can't play, uh, then and the Lakers roll, you know, five games to one, or you know a sweep, then you're absolutely going to go, well, you know, things would have been different in normal world, but like, let's, let's be honest with each other. Like things, things aren't normal right now. And they're probably not going to be normal in any sense of the word until next spring, you know, hopefully not later, but at least next spring. And so whether it's for these NBA games in Orlando or this very shortened 60-game baseball season, there are going to be these weird situations that that arise, right? And there's Mm -hmm. going to be these weird what-ifs that we could talk about. But whoever ends up winning, whoever ends up being champion, it'll be because they were able to stay healthy from a – normal basketball standpoint and from a coronavirus standpoint. And actually, if, if for teams and players who are hyper-vigilant, you know, let's say the Lakers, for example, every single guy on that roster, every single training staff member, every single coaching staff member, that all they do, practice, back to the hotel rooms, eat, do their thing, practice games, etc. and they are hyper-vigilant about staying out of the way of anything that remotely can increase their risk of getting it. but you actually have to hand it to them to go, you know what, that, that, they were hyper-focused on that. I mean, at some point, some NBA player down in Orlando in the, this, this bubble is going to make a bad choice, whether it's sneaking out or do an act, uh, activity that they shouldn't, uh, like whether it's going to the actual park, which they're not supposed to be doing. Something's going to happen. Or a family member, like initially it's just the players. But once they get into the playoffs, they're going to allow select family members and friends to come down and be with these players because they're again, they're going to be the, the ones who play in the finals are going to be in from mid July now, early mid July to mid October, completely isolated. And it's a it's a difficult ask to ask any sure. person to be away from their family, especially if they've got kids. Wives girlfriends they care about for that long a time and not have any interaction and so eventually friends and family are going to come down there What happens when one of them sneaks in and goes in the park and they contract it so? uh, Yeah, I mean those are all you know big questions and things that the NBA is gonna have to answer But if a team to play stay completely healthy part of it's gonna be because that team was hyper focused on what they were down there to
0: do assuming that everyone remains healthy uh, God willing, who do you see as the final four right now? Uh, two in the East, two in the West, and then obviously playing for the for the uh, NBA championship.
1: Yeah, so we'll start in the West, and I, I think it has to be both LA teams right now. Um, the the Lakers and Clippers are certainly seem to be the two strongest teams in the West. Uh, they seem to be the most healthy teams, at least right now, initially, and have the most talent. So I, I will be absolutely shocked if it's not in all-L.A. Uh, Western Conference Finals, uh, You know, barring certainly an injury to somebody else. There are several other good teams in the West that uh, are going to make some noise. Houston could surprise some people if they actually end up playing some defense. Uh, Utah, who I liked initially, um, I, I don't think they quite have it right now to, to really get to the NBA Finals, uh, but Denver will be... Decent to watch. Uh, certainly, everybody wants to watch Zion, and the Pelicans are probably going to sneak in the postseason. So um, I would not want to be that, that first-round team that, whether it's the Clippers or Lakers, ends up playing the Pelicans uh, for that because that's going to be a tough matchup, especially with the Lakers and then certainly the history between the, those two franchises in the past 12 months. Uh, but I, I honestly, looking at it, to me, LeBron and the Lakers and, and Kawhi and the Clippers are your two best teams there. Um, in terms of the East, I mean, Milwaukee is, it's funny because the Bucks clearly have the best record in the NBA this season. Uh, they have a historically amazing offense and defense, the numbers they're putting up, but yet they still feel like they're overlooked. I think a lot of people nationally are still going, well, it's going to be LeBron, uh, or maybe it's going to be Kawhi and, and the Clippers, but... The Bucks are the best team in the league right now, uh, and, and provided that they can stay healthy and that uh, you know we can see Giannis, you know, take take a step up in the postseason, uh, I, I, don't, I don't see them not being in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, and then in terms of their opponents, I'm not quite sure if Philly has enough. Uh, there's a lot of question marks I have with the Sixers, um, but I'd probably. I could see either the Raptors, the Sixers, or the Celtics as, as that opponent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say, if I had to say right now, I'd say Boston. Uh, I think Boston has that talent. The way Jason Tatum played in the month of February, really his his ascension to superstar level was happening at the same time that we saw Kobe White go from average rookie season to amazing rookie season uh, during that stretch. And the way that Tatum played, if he continues that when they – come back out of this, uh, then I give Boston the edge over, over those other two teams.
0: You know, it's going to be fascinating because uh, the Pacers and, and Sixers right now, Pacers are fifth seed, Sixers are sixth seed. They have the exact same record. Uh, and I, I don't think there's anybody who would argue, especially with the questions around Ola Depot, that the 76ers will be a much more difficult out for a team, especially with Ben yes. Simmons now 100% healthy. I still think the Sixers are... That, you know, even though they have a hack for a coach, they're the most talented team in the East, in my opinion. And they're dangerous, you,
1: right? Yeah, like they're you, they're they really can, talented. Can they put it together for a full seven game series?
0: They could be playing the Bucks in round two. It's entirely possible. Yeah, and uh, you know, we'll see what happens from there. But I, I think those teams, the Bucks and the Sixers, are easily the two most talented and. Uh, whoever wins, whenever they run into each other, uh, is probably going to come out of there. Or maybe you know, who knows? The Sixers have been so confusing this year; they could easily lose in the first round. And right now, they're they're scheduled to play the Celtics. So, what a fascinating first round series that would be.
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly, if the Sixers ended up getting past Boston and and Milwaukee in the first, you know, the the first round in the semis, then yeah, they clearly would have put it together at that point. And then I would have to say no matter who they played in the Eastern Finals, they would have the edge in that situation. But, you know, we, like as much as I love Ben Simmons's game, there's still a liability there uh, on mm-hmm. offense, right? Yeah. And Joel Embiid is, you know, it's the playoffs, so he'll be playing every game, but he be, can he be consistent for every game on both ends of the floor? Um, you know, Embiid had a great season. If Embiid had played, let's see, what did the, Philly end up playing? 65 games, 66 games? If Embiid had ended up playing 50 games uh, this season, he'd be first-team All NBA, and I think there are still, still riders who are going to make him first-team All NBA for the year that he had. But he'd be a legit MVP candidate mm-hmm. if he was out on the floor every night or nearly every night.
0: Yeah, the Sixers were 29 and two at home, by the way, and a horrific 10 and 24 on the road. Who knows yeah. how this, you know, system, how they're going to react to this? But. uh they were they had the best record in the East at home. You know, even better. Yeah. Than well, the you home. know what's
1: interesting about that aspect about there's no road, there's no home, right? Yeah. Um, we had Kenny Smith, uh, the Jet, on the Bulls Talk podcast uh, earlier this week, and mm-hmm. Kenny said to uh, Jason Goff that he thinks because of this very unique atmosphere of being in a neutral site uh, and essentially with no fans and there's no like road momentum to get you up, and there's no home crowd to get you up. Kenny said he believes that there are going to be marginal players, role players if you will, that are going to have amazing runs in Orlando that a lot of people are going to go, wow, I had no idea that this player was this good. Yes. And so, Agreed. like, we might see that just because of this really weird atmosphere. I mean, there there are teams that certainly have very intense practices, and that's almost what we're going to get for the initial start of Orlando it's going to be a, it's going to be an intense practice you just there are so many factors involved with a normal playoff game that not having the intensity of the crowd and the atmosphere it's going to impact some players so there're going to be other guys who are going to be completely fine like guys like LeBron I think who are going to have no issue at all treating it like a normal game but other guys kind of rely on that energy to, to get amped up and so some players are going to shock people with how good they are, and other players who are really good are going to have poor performances, and that may be a factor.
0: So who do you foresee winning it all?
1: Uh, gosh, that's, that's a tough question to answer right now because I don't know who stayed in shape, right? Yeah. Um, like it's, I think it was Malcolm Brogdon who, who said that he didn't touch a basketball the entire three months. If they oh, were on hiatus, right? And i like, <laughs> like, my God, I, like, is, is it like riding a bike where you're going to get down there in the practice court and you'll be fine after a week? I, I, I don't no. know.
0: No. Um,
1: so like, I want to see who's truly in shape, who didn't stay in shape, uh, who is going to be able to come back and continue off what they built off like uh, Tatum uh, before the uh, season ended in March. And so uh, if I had to say right now, I, I would give the edge to Milwaukee. Milwaukee is still... If I was doing a power rankings for the top teams in the league heading into Orlando, Milwaukee would still be number one for me. And I, if you had to say right now, I think the Bucks are favored, should be favored to win it all right
0: now. Yeah, I got the Clippers. I still think uh, when it comes to, you know, you're going to have uh, Kawhi and uh, and Paul George, are, It's going be that's going to be a really difficult duel to handle. It is. So, uh, so
1: Kawhi's going to go back-to-back for you.
0: Yes, and especially on the defensive end. You know how much I love Patrick Beverly. I just think that those two guys, uh, in a league that you have to have a perimeter defender, they got two of them. And I think the the Lakers losing uh, Avery Bradley uh, is a is a big loss. He's a, one guy you can throw, at you know, guarding one of those guys on the perimeter. And if you're going to ask LeBron to put up that much energy to stop one guy, I don't think they have enough to stop two, you know, on the perimeter. So. I think that's going to be just. I cannot wait for that that Lakers Clippers series. I think it's going to be fascinating. Uh, But I just I love the Clippers, and I think uh, you know their coach. They got the best coach. They got the best everything. Kawhi Leonard to me is the best when healthy in the league right now. So yeah,
1: Kawhi's amazing. I mean, we certainly know uh, he steps it up and what his performance, clutch performances, are like. Paul George is often overlooked. He's a fantastic player. They've got a great coach, great system. Uh, yeah, it's like it, I, I don't see anyone but those two teams coming out of the West. But there's probably about four, maybe five teams that I can realistically see winning the whole thing right now, and, and certainly the Lakers and Clippers and, and Bucks are three of those five.
0: So before we get into beloved, we'll, we'll get into the beloved, unfortunately, and uh, <laughs> and. and uh, you know, I, I sent you some questions beforehand, but I, I'd like to throw this one out yet, and I haven't discussed it with you. I, I had a poll a couple weeks ago, and about are you disappointed with or without boiling that the Bulls didn't make it into the bubble? And I, I find it devastating. I think it's a horrible thing that they didn't make it into this top this top group. I think a lot of relationships are going to be developed here. It's going to be like the Olympics in a way, where I think people are going to develop relationships that would help potentially for recruiting. Recruiting, I think, it would be very important for the Bulls and their young team to get down there and get thrown in this. And, of course, you know, Boylan screwed that up. Do you agree with me, or do you agree with the majority that, hey, I'm fine till December?
1: So I think the eight teams that are not going to be in Orlando, and I think the NBA recognizes this, those eight teams are at a massive competitive disadvantage long-term because of this. Uh, there are 22 teams going down there. Like, for instance, if the Bulls want to scout a player in person for free agency uh, in Orlando, they can't send a scout, right? The, the eight teams, as of right now, it's my understanding, the, those eight teams can't send any representative, anyone, to the bubble in Orlando. So it's just those 22 teams that are down there, their staff, their front office is uh, coaching staff, training, etc. And so – you're absolutely right. That long term, there are going to be players who form bonds because they are with each other every day for three months straight. That are, are you're going to get a a Olympic type atmosphere uh, in, in terms of the players and friendships and bonding. Um, it won't quite be like it's Olympic Village because there won't be that freedom of movement. That players have, uh, I just think there's going to be significant restrictions. I, I think you're going to see a lot of teams literally go from the practice floor to the hotel, back to the games to the practice floor hotel and only go those three places right? Um, but you're going to have guys as they get more comfortable down there go to their approved restaurants. They can go to um, you know under under watchful eye of Disney and NBA. But uh, there's a major disadvantage for those teams not going down there. Not, beyond the scouting, beyond looking at potential free agents, beyond whether this, you know, this fall uh, or the following off season, you're just going to have these teams. It, I know there's been a discussion about the elite Eights, right? The, the eight teams not going to Orlando doing their own type of summer league. Uh, I think that's a massive mistake. You know, Michelle Roberts is on record saying that the only way they're going to allow that to happen is if the same protocols are in place in Orlando that they do this Delete 8 tournament at. And they're going to have a hard enough time, this is the NBA, have a hard enough time keeping everybody safe and healthy in Orlando that to do it with eight other teams at a completely different site, to me, is insanity and it's not feasible at all. So if that doesn't end up happening, which I don't think it will, you're going to have these teams go from early to mid-March until – early December. Right now, the league is hopeful hopeful they can start next season, December 1st. Um, and I think that's still being optimistic. But let's say it is December 1st. You're going to have these teams go essentially nine months between competitive play? I mean, that that is, that is a tough ask, right? And I've so, of. the yeah. teams going down to Orlando are going to have the advantage of having played more games together and stay in shape better. And it's so... Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's highly unfortunate. The Bulls are not one of those twenty-two teams. It's disappointing. I would not put it all on Boylan, as you said. I, I don't think it's just Boylan's fault. Um, you know, certainly the players and you know, injuries to certain key guys like Otto Porter were significant factors involved in that. But they should have they should have been better this year. They they should have been better. They should not be a a twenty-two win team. Um,
0: no, and so. No. No doubt. Yeah, it's
1: it's it's tough and I think it has the potential for those eight teams to have significant impact for the next two to three years down the line.
0: Well, I think too the biggest one of the biggest issues bull you know, with a bowl centric view is before this season we really wanted to find out what we had in White, Wendell Carter Junior, Mark, and Zach Levine, the what I call the core four. Yeah. I have more questions now than I did before last season. And it, that's an that's excusable that, that could not happen. Like As a head coach, you had to understand what we had. And I understand there were some injuries, but I have more questions about marketing than I did before, and I think a lot of that is, is due to the head coach. I have more questions about Wendell Carter Jr. than I did before. A lot of that, again, is due to the head coach. Not putting them in the position to succeed, not putting them in the best possible position to to find success. You know, uh, White I think luckily and near the end, really turned things around after I thought for many, many points during the year, kind of a disappointing season. And he really started showing consistency and really impressed me. Uh, And in Levine, you know, the question's still out there. Can he win? Can he win? You know, can he be the best player in a team that gets to the playoffs? There's nothing but more question marks than ever. And that's why I was kind of like eight games with those core four together means a lot to me. Um, in, in Florida, you're right, not not with the other losers. But in Florida, if they could have got into that, there would have been more time to evaluate and really understand what we have here, and we don't know. Again, it's 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 a catastrophe.
1: Yeah, I mean, so to... Uh, I'll disagree with you a little bit in terms of uh, a couple of the guys. So, number one, Zach, right? And so, you know, Zach had the best season of his entire career this past, past year. He was uh, certainly the focal point of the offense to average 25 and a half games. Uh, he proved that he could be clutch in the moments he needed to be clutch. Uh, he proved that certainly he had a high usage rate, but he wasn't just a, a one-trick pony. Um, and, and he, Zach, is a star in this league. He's certainly the best player on the Bulls uh, right now on the, on the roster. But we, he answered a lot of questions, right? Like the number one question is could Zach improve on the season he had last year? Right? Could he could he take a scoring average in the 23s and make it even better? Uh, I was I was hoping for a scoring average in the 27s, um, and certainly not getting off to a super great start uh, impacted that. But you know we saw Zach clearly capable on any given night of dropping 40. I mean that's what you want from a star sc- scorer in this league. And Zach, you know you can fault him for all his defense. He is an elite elite scorer everything you want out of a player on the offensive end, Zach mm-hmm. has that ability, right? Mm-hmm. From, the, from the driving to the perimeter shooting, uh, he, like, he's got it. And, you know, certainly he could work on his playmaking and a little bit better and, and work with his teammates. And, you know, certainly he'd like his assist numbers to be up a little bit higher. But, you know, quite frankly, if some of his teammates were hitting the shots, his assist numbers would be uh, a little bit higher. So, like, I, I think Zach answered a lot of questions. And, and so... Zach is, I think, probably he's got a little bit more in him in terms of, like, potential. I think I think he has the ability to average 27 a game. Uh, so, like, whatever, I mean, he certainly was in the All-Star discussion, um, and if the Bulls had had a competitive record, he probably would have been in the All-Star game. Um, mm-hmm. and it certainly was a missed opportunity with the United Center hosting the All-Star game to only have Zach in a three-point contest, and that's it. And so I think he's got another level in him. Can he be the number one star on a championship-caliber team? I don't know. I I think he can be 1B. I don't know if he can be 1A. Um, Outside of that, Markkanen had a very – I mean, it it was just – it was such a frustrating year for Markkanen. He had that opening night in Charlotte in which he dropped 35-17. and And I think every fan was like, "Wow! Like this is it? This is this is this is February marketing that we got uh, in 2019. We're getting it here for the whole season." He just took a massive step back. Uh, a lot of it's the coaching staff and the, and the scheme he was being used in, and what they were asking him to do. A lot of it's on him. Like he just flat out missed a ton of open shots. Yeah. And so, like, there are mass. There are so many more questions about about marketing. Uh, entering this offseason in which he's eligible for an extension that we had entering last year, a year ago at this time. And so, like, what is Markkinen's true ceiling? Is it just a a decent starter that would be good in the right system, or does he still have all-star potential? I would like to think and hope that he's got all-star potential, but he's got to be used correctly. He can't just be used as a, a spot-up shooter. I mean, he's, he's not... Like Danny Green out there, he's just gonna you know knock down threes. Like you need more from him. You need you need more play in the post. You need more rebounding. You need a, you need, just need more consistency, staying healthy. You know, then you get to Wendell, uh, and number one is the health. Like can he stay on the floor? Uh, like I, I want to see that from him. I, I don't think he was used properly defensively mm-hmm. with this team. His block numbers were down. In a year where his block numbers should have been up, he had a great rookie season. And Wendell is gifted defensively out there. There's no doubt that he has the potential to be first or second team all defense in this league. He's got to be used correctly, though. He can't be playing 15 feet out and and be asked to rotate on the weak side and and just have it be a mess back there. And be out of place. Offensively, his game is still a work in progress. Uh, he started to extend his range, which is great to see. But certainly, in in today's NBA, and I think he's gone on record saying he feels more comfortable playing at the four than the five. Well, in this league, you've got to be able to knock down the three as a as a four.
0: Absolutely,
1: yeah, you, you absolutely yeah. have to. So, like, he's got to work on that range, be consistent there. But he's he worked on his touch near the rim uh, and was getting better that way. And so, like, there's still there's still a ton of potential in Wendell. I mean, the kid I think just turned twenty recently. So, like. There's still a lot there, and I, I have a lot of hopes for Wendell being a core member of a future Bulls playoff team. But then you get to Kobe, and Kobe didn't start that great, but a lot of it was due to his playing time and his usage, and we eventually got him in what we saw in February, right? Like, why did it take so long for him to start? I mean, I was advocating, advocating. God, I think it's probably as late as uh, December, for him to start alongside Zach Levine. yeah, Because I felt like there were just too many situations in which they weren't on the floor together and the defenses just went ran right at Kobe because there were no other playmakers on the floor in that second unit. There just weren't. And so like, they, they, we needed more time of Zach and Kobe together. And in terms of all the things, the number one benefit, had they gone to Orlando and played those eight seeding games and if they were lucky, beyond is to get more playing time with Zach and Kobe together in the backcourt. Like, that's that's the number one thing, and I want to see that duo together for a long time. And so I I think we got questions answered by Kobe from his ability and the progress he made from October to February. Like, he has got all-star potential. Like, Kobe has all these intangibles, the work ethic, the, the, the size, uh... He's got that ability. And again, super, super young. It, it's just—it's very odd, I think, to me, compared to like 10 years ago in this league, to be able to, to predict where a player is going to be in their prime, which is generally 26, 27, 28 years old, for a guy who's 19 years old, right? Because yeah. Yeah. for anybody who has a really good work ethic, could anyone – predict where a 20-year-old Jimmy Butler was going to be at age 28? No, right? It's about the work ethic and about the system. And You get those two things together, and you're going to have a really good career. And So Kobe has that potential. He's got the potential to be an all-star. Is he going to be? I can't say for certain yes or no, but he's got the potential there and everything else you'd want in an all-star. And so uh, if he puts the work ethic and the the system is right for him, then he'll be an all-star in five years.
0: I I have to go back to something you said because I agree with it 100%. And here's a perfect example why Boylan's a moron. Is at some point in January you had to realize, you know what, we're not winning anything. We need to develop this team. He's still – and there's very few people I know bigger fan of Dunn than I do. But he's still starting Dunn because he was so elite defensively. And all Boylan cared about was the fact that he's a defensive coach and we were top ten in defense. And in doing so, you sacrificed the development of White – and Levine together. Um, when you play a team and you have an elite perimeter, perimeter defender as all good teams do, Zach was getting him. And then when White would come back when White would come in and Zach would hit the bench, White would get him. You you, you got to put them both together, force the the opposition to guard one of those guys and the other guy's going to take advantage of that. But, you know what, he wanted to keep the defensive ranking up, so we didn't get to see that until finally Dunn's injury uh, you know, force him. And it was no coincidence when Dunn got hurt, suddenly White's in the starting lineup and he starts playing lights out. So,
1: I, I've got a little story to share for you. Um, I, I won't go into how I know the story, but I know it to be a fact. that There was a game uh, earlier this season before Kobe was starting. Um, it was sometime Kobe was on the floor and he was at the free throw line. And one of the opposing players came up to Kobe either before his First free throw or in between free throws, and said to him, "Hey, you know we're running at you all the time because there's no one else out here with you that that can move the ball."
0: Yeah, uh, And it. so,
1: like that's the truth. That that's that's opposing players on other teams telling Kobe this, right? Yeah. And so, uh, it's absolutely it's absolutely truth. And then, like Kobe knew it, the entire league knew it, knew it. The the other teams and players knew it because. He was out there with that second unit, with which, quite frankly, we don't need to name the other four guys because we, we all saw it. But that just—he was the only one that could score on that second unit, and it's—it's it's unfortunate.